This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Is Everyone Happier Than Me? An Honest Guide to the Questions That Keep You Up at Night. Written and narrated by Sarah Bragg and available everywhere March 19th. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Welcome to episode 44, where I will be discussing legalistic Christianity with Rebecca Hargraves. Rebecca spent many years living out her faith in a legalistic manner. We talk about her legalistic behavior, what led her to consider a different approach in her faith journey, digging into God's word and allowing scripture to interpret scripture, and how to identify legalistic thinking in your own Christian life. Listen to what Rebecca says about how fear often motivated her legalistic behavior. You you have maybe a good intention, but you become so afraid of doing something wrong that then you add in all these extra parameters, all these extra barriers to keep you from that, which boundaries are good. But if you make those into that law, enforce them on everybody else, act as if they're actually what the Bible says, then of course you have the trouble. But it was really a thing of fear because I... I wanted to honor God, but I couldn't just rest in what the Bible actually said, believing that, hey, if God has not laid down a command in this area, then apparently it's okay for there not to be a command in this area. Like, it's okay for us to have freedom in whatever area it is. I couldn't trust that. I couldn't rest in that. I had to add to it in order to feel okay, to feel better, to feel safe. And it became a thing where looking back, I realized I thought I knew better than God. My hope after today's episode is that you will be able to better identify legalistic behavior in your own Christian life and that you will begin digging into God's Word, asking Him to bring clarity and right thinking to those areas. Good evening, Rebecca. Thank you so much for taking time to sit down with me for the Grace Enough podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Yeah, will you go ahead as we get started and just introduce yourself and your family and tell our listeners all of the many hats that you wear? (laughs) Sure. So I'm Rebecca Hargraves, married to Owen for about five and a half years, and we have two kiddos. Um, They're little, Anna and James. They're four and two, and so they keep me busy in their own right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I am also a podcaster, so it's always fun to chat with a fellow podcaster because I feel like podcasters just get it and they understand what goes into it. And so it's fun, but I do that. And I blog, um, do a lot of writing, just different sites, uh, both for my own and then guest posts and freelance writing, things of that nature. Um, and then in January of this year, I launched along with my dear friend, Kayla, a magazine entitled uh, spirit filled woman magazine. And that has totally changed a lot of things. I had the idea for the magazine itself and I figured that's all it was going to be. And uh, Kayla's very creative, very artistic, and always just having all these ideas. And so because of her, really, it's branched out into a planner and apparel and mugs and Bible studies. Oh, I didn't realize all that. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I need to get back on the website again. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's um, really, most of it is, is her 
baby, if you will. Like she's come up with like right. all of that, a lot of it. And so, um, and then when we celebrate our one year anniversary, we will um, be releasing a book, which you're really excited about. That's so awesome. it's a book that the magazine team, we have five ladies who have come together and we've written a book on the topic of walking by the spirit. So what that means, what that looks like. Very excited. That's awesome. And so that launches in January, you said? As the first, January 1st. Oh, wow. The plan. So. Oh, goodness. That's a busy time. Go, girl. It is. I know. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I don't know what we're thinking. But. That's okay. It'll be great. It'll be great. Sometimes chaos uh, helps keep me in line, actually. I know that sounds crazy sometimes, but I'm like, it. sometimes having something to do actually keeps me more structured than having yes. nothing. Yes. I'm the same way if I have, because I'm a procrastinator by nature, mm. but yet at the same time, when I'm down to the wire and I have to get it all done, well, then I get it all done. You know? That's right. That's so. right. That's how it is in college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're going to chat a little bit about legalism tonight because it is heavily weaved into your story and something that I feel is just an important topic to address. And so... As we get into talking about that, will you share how you came to know Jesus and a little bit about what your faith journey looked like in the early years? So I was raised in a Christian home. Really grateful for that. Great family. The story is always told that my birth was announced from the baptistry, actually. That's apparently where the pastor <laughs> was at the time. Um, the Sunday I was born, because I guess they kind of knew my family. My grandfather was the music um, soundboard guy, not the music minister, but did the sound. And so I guess I kind of knew our family. And so my birth was announced that Sunday, always in church. I mean, I was in children's choir and Bible drill and had like the kids have musical plays at Christmas time and all those sorts of things, uh, mission trips and all that. And just always was around that. But it wasn't until I was 14 when I really kind of entered into that legalistic phase. Mm. I had always kind of been the person who, like I was saved at the age of seven. And I, I know that that was the case. But at the same time, I always struggled with, you know, being in the word on a somewhat consistent basis. And which probably a lot of kids struggle with that. But Absolutely. Um, I always kind of went through this like, place where I would be at summer camp and be on this, you know, spiritual high at the age of 12 or 13 and be like, oh, I'm going to be in the word every single day when I get home. And it lasted for like a week or two. And then I wouldn't be in the word. And then I'd feel bad. And just this constant like roller coaster. And when I was 14, um, there were just a series of events. Our family became involved in a Christian ministry that is no longer around at the time, but it was very well known. And we went to their conferences and just got all their resources and their books and just all the things. And Interestingly, my parents always remained very balanced. They changed some in that season. They did have some beliefs that they look back now and they realize they had some legalism as well. But I was really the one that swallowed hook, line, and sinker everything. And I think it was because I was so hungry for biblical knowledge and, and theology. Yeah. And, you know, I was always a big reader and Those really, really formative years, too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I reading these materials and things, I was discovering Bible verses that I didn't know existed. You know, mm. like, for example, one big one was Titus 2, 4 through 5, that talked about, you know, women being keepers at home, for example. And at that age, you know, as a kid, you oh, think yeah, everything's girl. very black and white, and it's one way, and um, you don't realize all that goes into it as an adult. And, you know, mm. um, not that I'm vouching for situational ethics or whatever, right. but, but really, there is a part of that that you don't realize when you're a kid. And so- Absolutely. 
I was like, oh, this verse is in here. I didn't know this. Oh my goodness. And everything that I read about it from this particular ministry, um, I believed and assumed was true. And I just ate it up completely. And so there were a lot of similar beliefs uh, all wrapped up into this just picture of biblical womanhood and what it was and what you could do as a woman and what you couldn't do as a woman that I just assumed was accurate. And I became a big apologist for it, so to speak, started my first blog at 15. So the year after that, thankfully, as far as I know, that blog no longer sees the light of day. I don't think you can access it. I haven't tried. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I spouted off a lot of craziness to be honest. And I, I look back and I, I had a lot of people commenting, a lot of people engaging. And um, I mean, this was back in the early days of blogging. So that's probably right. why. But I just think back and I, I kind of cringe at the people that I probably mm. uh, led astray or at least discouraged the harsh <laughs> stuff I had to say. So that's kind of the childhood and teen years for me was, was well, during rough. that time. I mean, because I know how it can be as a teenager when your parents are just even trying to have a conversation with you, Um, you, we can be so, oh my goodness. Like, you know, you think your parents are like the dumbest people on earth. It's so crazy. Maybe not everybody feels that way, but most people I talked to (laughs) felt that way. But were they ever kind of trying to point out some of that, you know, I mean, just really false thinking. Mm -hmm. They were. The interesting thing is, um, the quote unquote idea of biblical patriarchy was very big in this ministry. And my dad is the furthest thing from that. He's very laid back. He's very calm. He's not a aggressive leader, go get him type. He's right. just very even keel, very laid back. He's not passive, but he's just, he's not that kind of macho picture that was portrayed as somehow being biblical. And I remember writing him a letter because I always did better even then with written words than like, you know, because I would get emotional and I'd be like, I'm going to start crying. So I'm just going to write you a letter. (laughs) So I remember writing him a several pages long letter. I was probably 15 or 16 and basically begging him to be more patriarchal and saying, you know, this person who leads this ministry and and who said this, and, you know, I really wish you were more like that. And I mean, I I don't remember what all I put in the letter, but I think there were scripture references and whatnot. Um, And I, looking back, I know that letter really hurt him. Thankfully, though, I mean, God brought good out of it. We're fine. We're honestly, it's closer now than we've ever been. We're always close. But I remember him telling me, he said, Becca, that's not who I am. Mm. And I, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry if that's, you know, a disappointment if that's letting you down, but that's just, I can't do that. And at the time I was like crushed. And then another, I remember another instance was one of the other things I believed was that it was a sin for women to wear pants. And I remember <laughs> getting into a conversation with my mom and she's like, Becca, this scripture, because Deuteronomy 22, five yes. for anyone familiar with it, was like the big go-to verse. And she's like, that's not what it's talking about. You know? And I remember being crushed. Like I took it personally that my parents were not on board that like right. it somehow, I don't know, it was almost like a security issue for me too. It was like I was basing my identity and my security and who I was in these beliefs that I thought were thoroughly biblical. And then I had these parents who I thought were not being biblical in these areas. And I felt just really insecure. And so I took it personally. And I remember crying like, mom, why can't you see it? You know, and they were wow. so patient <laughs> with me the whole time. Like I look back and I'm like, wow, you guys were dealing with a lot. <laughs> I know. But, God's so full of grace, isn't he? Oh he God. just, he's patient with us like none <laughs> other. It's like, okay, so you seriously started wearing skirts every day. Absolutely. Or dresses. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How yep. many years? 
Let's see. So started when I was 14 and then that particular, so it's been a journey out of legalism, but that particular change that would have been, I was 19. Yes. About five years. Yeah. Wow. That's so crazy. (laughs) Your whole high school years. I mean, it's not that crazy actually, but it just feels crazy to me because I was just completely rebellious in high school. So (laughs) I have a totally different story, but I know we're already really talking about it, but I do want to make sure for anyone listening who is just not maybe sure exactly what legalism is in the way that we're going to be talking about it. You know, how would you define that related to your story? Yeah, that's that's a good point, because it can be defined in different ways um, for different people. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, it's the belief that your good works earn your salvation. Mm -hmm. And for me, that wasn't it. That is definitely an aspect of legalism or can be. And for me, it was just taking a lot of what I look back now and realize were man-made rules and regulations that were really, honestly, I was a Pharisee. I mean, that's what I see. I, I, you know, when I read about the Pharisees, it's like, okay, yep, me, me, you know, because I would, I would take something that may have been a principle, you know, Hey, Titus two, four through five does exist, but I would take something that might be a principle or one picture of, you know, what is a good thing to do or, or what someone could do to glorify God. And I would add to it, all sorts of additional requirements, mm-hmm. just like they did. You know, they there was a, a command to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, but then they added on all right. of these other requirements and, and what it looked like to keep it holy meant you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this. And so that for me is what legalism was. It was taking something that appeared biblical because maybe the principle was but then adding on so many other things and making it a, a law and a rule and not only just something that I was convicted that I should or should not do, right, but, everyone but else. putting it on everybody else. Yeah, yeah, which is so much the thing of legalism. I mean, it just leads us into judgment. Oh, yes. And I do think it's it can be really hard if you have really strong views when you're young. I mean, I think it can be hard anytime. But like you said, the black and white when you're young, and I was just talking to my oldest son about that because he can really kind of have that strong personality and that deep down goodness of there is right and there is wrong but oh because of the black and white and trying to teach him listen there really is a lot of gray in the middle of some of these things and I don't mean gray like we're not talking about you know sexual sin and all that where you can toe the line it's more of like you said you know wearing a skirt well yes it says this one thing But God developed the law in Israel, and it does change throughout time. It's just a very complicated thing to explain sometimes to young children. And I, of course, consider teenagers young children still. (laughs) I didn't think I was at the time. Exactly. Now that I'm 40, I'm like, yes, you are still a child. Which is probably what 60-year-olds think of us, right? Probably so. But anyways, what took place in your life that led you to start really addressing that legalistic, you know, point of view, behavior, belief system, however you want to put it? So I'll never forget, you know, because of my legalism and because of what I thought were actual requirements, things that you had to do or not do to to really to make God happy with you. (laughs) I truly didn't fully grasp the gospel. Because of those things and what I thought constituted a good Christian, I remember so distinctly, I had taken, this is what's really funny. In my legalism, I was involved in a ballroom dancing class. That doesn't quite make sense. But you can wear a skirt there. That's true. You know, Sorry, you I should have been better. making jokes. No, it worked out. I enjoyed it very much. Um, <laughs> that's actually where I met my husband. Oh, that's cool. And I didn't know him 
all that well at the time, but it was his sister. I did not know it was his sister, um, but his sister was in my class, mm. didn't know anything about her, who she was, but I saw the light of Christ in her. Mm. And it was just like, I hadn't even talked to her. It was just watching her and her face and the way she presented herself and the way she spoke to people. And like, I saw this light of mm. Christ in her, this love of Christ in her, but she was wearing shorts. Mm. And I remember thinking, okay, that's not possible. Like the, I shouldn't be able to see this light of Christ in her that I can't explain other than that is what it is. Like the Holy Spirit's in her. I, I just know it, but she's dressing like this mm. in a way that I'm thinking is wrong biblically, not just like my preference, but I'm thinking biblically, this is wrong. And I couldn't explain it. I could not understand how I could see someone who so clearly was right with God so clearly, but then she was dressing in a way that I thought was dishonoring to him mm -hmm. and disobedient. And that is really, it was that little picture. It was that seed of like, I could not get away from. And I just I remember really struggling with it, just not understanding how it was possible. And that's really what led to my beginning to question some things. Um, and of course, then it started with the clothes issue and has gone from there. But it was just seeing that light. So did you all end up developing, I mean, obviously you're married to her brother, but did you end up developing a relationship with her? Yeah, she's awesome. Like she, she's one of the, so Owen's, my husband is the youngest of six and she is like, they're all super passionate and like super outgoing and super strong personalities. And she can kind of be that way, but really she's like just more quiet and just sweet, loving, just she, if she has a judgmental bone in her body, I'm not familiar with it because she's just wow. one of those people who she's just going to love you, you know, yeah. <laughs> like She's Which great. seems like at the time, that's exactly what you needed. Almost somebody who looked totally different than what you thought, but you couldn't deny what they were. Yeah. Well, so what were, I mean, you've told, told us a couple of things, but what were some of the other things that you look back and realize I had this legalistic thought, practice, belief versus, you know, a biblical belief? Kind of how did you begin walking through that to discover like I'm just not right on this so one of them was we were taught and I say we just the people that follow this ministry were taught that it's absolutely across the board at all times wrong for a woman to teach a man specifically mm -hmm. of course theology in this circle but you know depending yeah. on who you were how extreme you were sometimes it wasn't even theological issues but especially in areas pertaining to theology it was wrong for a woman to teach a man and I assumed that was true. I took one passage in First Timothy, thought that's what it was saying. And so therefore, that's the case. And I finally was willing to let go of passages that uh, made me uncomfortable. And that I just because that was the thing in that season. Um, another example would be the idea that it's wrong for women to lead in the civil sphere and that somehow a female ruler over a country or over a city or whatever it is, is somehow a, a curse on the society of that mm -hmm. culture. And I remember I would ignore the passage about Deborah. Just, I would not read right. it because I <laughs> couldn't really explain it away very well. It made me really uncomfortable. So I would just ignore it. And I finally came to the point with the whole women teaching men thing, for example, where I wasn't willing anymore to ignore the word. Mm. Like I got to the point where I would rather know what the whole canon of scripture says mm -hmm. and be willing to embrace all of it and allow scripture to interpret scripture and be open to whatever it said and allow me then to have to be changed, <laughs> which yes. is painful, but it's yes. worth it. 
And when I did that, I realized, okay, that can't, that interpretation cannot be what's being said here. You know, I started finding examples like Huldah, the prophetess, who when King Josiah discovers the book of the law, which a lot of scholars think was probably Deuteronomy, he discovers it and he and his, the high priest and these other men in his court, so to speak, they don't really get it. They're not really sure what to do with it. They can't really interpret it. They're just kind of not, not really sure what to think about it. And God sends them to a woman to speak on his behalf. And what's interesting is I was doing a lot of research and studying all this out. And the prophet Jeremiah was actually prophesying during this time. So God could have clearly sent them to him, but he didn't. He sent them to hold it. And so you have this amazing example of a time when God specifically chose. It wasn't as if, oh, well, there were no good men around. Yeah, there was. But he at that moment didn't send them to Jeremiah. He sent them to hold it. And she was the one that God spoke through to interpret what they had found and to speak this truth. And it got to the point where I was like, well, how do you explain that away? Like, how, you know, like this isn't just some kind of story of, oh, well, David had multiple lives, therefore it's okay. No, this isn't like just a story that you could right. somehow get twisted into thinking something. This yeah. was God speaking through her and saying, listen to her. I will have her be the one to interpret this for you. And so that's just one example. I had to be willing to just see what the word said in yeah. its entirety, fit it all together, and then come to my conclusions. And that was hard and it was painful, but the freedom that I have found on the other side, it was so worth it. Yeah. It was worth the tears, you know, that having to really shake my identity because I'd based my identity in those beliefs and what I yeah. thought a biblical woman was. Well, and you say something in your Instagram stories about just how often that legalism can be a result of fear. Will you kind of share a little bit of that with our listeners? Yeah, so I, and I think that's really what I see in the example of the Pharisees. In some ways, they had an intention that was somewhat good in that they didn't want to sin against these true legitimate laws of God. And that's a, that's a good thing that you don't want right. to do that. They had that, but they became so afraid of stepping a toe in whatever sin it was, of mm -hmm. coming so close to maybe falling. And that's the way it was for me, too. You, you have maybe a good intention, but you become so afraid of doing something wrong that then you add in all these extra parameters, all these extra barriers to keep you from that, which boundaries are good. But if right. you make those into that law, enforce them on everybody else, act as if they're actually what the Bible says, then, of course, you have the trouble. But it was really a thing of fear because I, I wanted to honor God. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't just rest in what the Bible actually said, believing that, hey, if God has not laid down a command in this area, then apparently it's okay for there not to be a command in this area. Like, it's okay for us to have freedom in whatever area it is. I couldn't trust that. I couldn't rest in that. I had mm -hmm. to add to it in order to feel okay, to feel better, to feel safe. And it became a thing where looking back, I realized I thought I knew better than God. Because mm -hmm. I couldn't just rest in the areas where he gave us freedom. Yeah, and it's think not that's a full okay. trust of him. No. I mean, it's very, I mean, it's almost like you're in bondage, I feel yeah. like sometimes. And just that whole, I need to be good, I need to be good, I need to be good. And it's like, particularly living on this side of the cross and knowing what we know, which, you know, the Pharisees didn't, you know, they had the advantage of the Torah, but they didn't even have the advantage of the New Testament. And yeah. it's like, 
for us, we can't earn God's love. Like we cannot Mm -hmm. earn his favor. Now, does that mean we just go out and do whatever we want? Well, absolutely not. Because, you know, a changed heart is a heart that wants to honor and serve the Lord. But it's just not that whole thing of if I do something wrong, Mm -hmm. I'm going to disappoint you know, yes. disappoints, maybe not the wrong word or the right word, but he's not going to not love you anymore. Mm-hmm. If you teach a man, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Doggone it. The women in the Bible apparently couldn't some instances, but apparently I can't, you know, like, well, and it's like, so interesting <laughs> though, as you've talked about Holda and Lisa Hensley has talked about Holda. And I'm like, you know, I mean, not that I've been to a ton of different churches or anything in my life, but I mean, you don't really hear that taught on very often, if ever. No, no. She and I have had a lot of boxer conversations about Hulda and, and surrounding topics. And I'm trying to remember exactly what led her to be kind of aware of her. I think it was actually the same book. Um, I'd read a book that was about different women of the Bible yeah, and addressing them in a actually appropriate way. <laughs> um, instead of just explaining away all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it, there was a whole chapter on Hulda. And I was like, I don't even remember hearing yeah. that name before. I, know. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Yeah. So no, people, I mean, there may be certain, you know, denominations that are probably more apt to preaching on, you know, what she did and because they would automatically be fine with it. But I come from Baptist churches and you're not going to hear about Holda and Baptist churches. (laughs) I know, girl, I know. (laughs) Truth, truth, truth. Um, so we should, we should move on. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Hey, I still go to a Baptist church, so I'm not throwing them under the I bus. I mean, actually, <laughs> yeah, I do too. So how would you encourage someone who is maybe even right now feeling that prick of, oh, maybe I'm, you know, tiptoeing into that legalistic thinking or I am full in. What would you say to them? How can they kind of begin to walk away from that or identify truth. That's really good. Yeah. I, you have to become not just a student of the word in that you're reading it or you're, you know, whatever, but really they say, you know, context is king and really it's true. Like you, you have to get to the point where you're willing to read in context. You can't just read what Hannah Anderson refers to as the pink passages of scripture, you know, Proverbs 31, Titus two, you can't just pull those out and build your framework around them. You have to read them in context. You have to compare what they say to what other passages of scripture also say and allow scripture to interpret scripture. That's one of my dad's favorite uh, phrases and I should have listened to it a long time ago. But you have to be willing to do the hard work of diving into the word, letting it say what it says, comparing different passages and just be no longer willing to rely on your own understanding or your own box or your own viewpoint, you've got to be willing to surrender whatever it is that you're thinking. And maybe some of these things are right. Maybe some of the things you're thinking yeah. right now are absolutely right. They're doctrinally correct. Don't don't throw those out. Hold on to those. Because as you are reading the word and studying it, you'll see that those are correct. Mm-hmm. And really, the whole reason why uh, we named the magazine Spirit Filled Woman Magazine, and we do get questions and we get asked if we're charismatic because of that. <laughs> it's like, Let's just emphasize the Holy Spirit without adding a lot of stuff to it or assuming things. Right. Because really, and I answered when we got that question recently, I answered it by saying, 
our motto verse or passage for the magazine is Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Mm-hmm. And so before you even get to verses 22 and 23 that talk about the fruits of the Spirit, you first have verse 16 that talks about if you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so it's not about coming up with your own man-made laws and rules and traditions and, and making sure everything fits in your box. Mm-hmm. It's about walking by the Spirit. And we know from what Christ said that he gave us the gift of the Spirit to remind us of the truth that he had preached, to remind us of what is true. Mm -hmm. And if we're walking by the Spirit, we're not going to be led astray into all sorts of lies and and craziness. We're going to be led more and more and more into a right understanding of what is actually in the Word, what's taught, what's doctrinally correct. That's what we're going to come to an understanding of as we're walking by the Spirit. And so— you know, reading the word, being in prayer, believing that the Holy Spirit's job is to lead you into truth, to remind you of truth. And so as you're in the word, he's your helper. He's the one who, if you don't understand something, you know, sometimes you have to really fight through certain passages and and try to figure out what it's about. But you've got to believe that God gave you his spirit to lead you through that. And that's not to say that you don't use other study tools at times, or you don't benefit from, you know, finding out what the Hebrew and Greek said or reading a commentary. It's not to say that, but just to realize that if you're willing to just walk by the spirit to rely on him, he's going to lead you. He's It's going to be a process. It will not be overnight. It's been a years long process for me. And I feel like I'm probably still on that journey. I don't feel like I'm completely probably freed from every aspect of legalism. I have a feeling I don't know exactly what area it might be right now where I'm still caught right. in it. But I probably have some area that I'll know maybe five years from now what that is. But it's not instantaneous, but it is little bit by little bit. The Lord will open your eyes and we won't be infallible on the side of, of heaven. But That's right. That's right. But it is a journey. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And well, and that's something too. It's, I I feel like sometimes people just really struggle with reading the word. And I always encourage people, you know, don't feel like you're just going to wake up and it's just going to all make sense to you. That's not necessarily what happens, but instead it's like, yeah, go ahead and go back and start at Genesis and just start reading. And before you start, ask, I mean, the spirit of the living God to open your eyes to what he needs you to understand right now. And just trust that he's going to do that. And as you do that faithfully for days and months and years, you do, I mean, you may receive a greater understanding right away. I'm not saying that, but it is something that over time builds and changes and you begin to see that thread of Jesus through the whole thing, that thread of God's faithfulness. And, you know, the list goes on and on, but we can't always just rely on our pastors Mm -hmm. and other people to teach us God's word. We cannot do that. No. Because they're fallible people too. Yeah. And if you're willing to take whatever is preached at you, there's no telling where you might end up. And even in the best of churches, like we've Absolutely. got to be those Bereans, you know, who who readily yeah. listen, who take in and, and consider it. They're not like unteachable. They they listen, but they take everything they're taught and everything they hear and compare it then to the word before they yeah. just automatically accept it. Yeah, just constantly examining. Well, and then you talk about reading in context. And for me, I mean, I do understand exactly what you're talking about. But I do think it is something else still that people struggle with, who maybe just aren't as familiar with the word. Like, what do you mean when you say that? So for me, with the whole 
perfect example being Titus 2, 4 through 5, you know, I would really grab hold of those two verses and just focus on them, mm-hmm. not focus on anything around them, not focus on what other passages about women had to say, not focus on examples of godly women and what they were doing and, and all of that. Um, but I would just grab a verse on its own, act as if it's a standalone verse, and kind of ignore the rest. And this is done, this is, I guess, maybe be a helpful example. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse that everybody knows. Like, it's on Bible covers. It's on, which, do we have Bible covers anymore? Uh, <laughs> it used to okay. go Bible it, covers. <laughs> it's on notebooks. It's on journals. It's on cups. Yeah. It's on, yes, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But yes, read before and after. But go ahead. I'm, I'm still in your thunder. <laughs> no, no. It's something that we take and we assume, okay, so plans for hope and a future and, and they're good plans. And okay, that means, you know, health, wealth and prosperity, or maybe mm-hmm. that means that everything will always be super easy. Things are going to go the way I want them to go. Everything's going to be great. But that verse is in the context of the Israelites being told they're going to be in captivity. They are in captivity. They're mm-hmm. in 70 for years. a long time. <laughs> yes. I mean, you think 70 years, that's a lifetime. That is basically. a lot of those people did not see freedom before exactly. death. Yeah. And when you read that verse about, I know the, the thoughts or the plans, depending on the translation that I have for you, the verse that comes after also says, if you're seeking me, mm-hmm. if you're seeking, seeking me, in other words, if you're walking with by all the of spirit, my, with like, all of your heart, it says, <laughs> exactly. it's not a blanket promise. Oh, everything will be peachy for you. It's if you're walking with me, if you're yeah. seeking me, if you're living in light of my ways and what I have said, I want you to do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. Then these things will come about and, and they will play out in such a way. And even if there's bad stuff that happens, good will come from it, you know, that kind of stuff. But you can't just take that one verse and rip it out of its context, its surrounding verses, its surrounding mm-hmm. chapters, even depending on what it is. Um, and another thing too, that was hard for me to understand for a while is that yes, you interpret the word literally, but at the same time, mm-hmm. there are different types of books, for example, there's poetry, there's history, there's narrative, there's, there's a letter to the church. So it's an epistle. You've got these different types Mm -hmm. of literature, if you will, and you can't just automatically interpret them exactly the same way across the board. Cause when my pastor made a good example, you know, there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about answering a fool according to his folly. And then right after that, it says, basically don't answer a fool according to his folly. And it's like, okay, if you're going to take that automatically, like this is a hard and fast rule, what do you do with that? Like, do you answer? Do you not answer? Right. And most of Proverbs is that way. Yes. No, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And so that's where you've got to walk by the spirit. You've got to believe that what this is a general principle. Sometimes it's going to be right and appropriate and the spirit's going to lead you to answer this fool. Mm-hmm. But other times he's going to say, nope, <laughs> do yeah. not answer that fool. That's away. pearls before swine. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's why we just have to be careful. We have to understand what kind of book it is. We have to read it from beginning to end and, and see what the overarching, you know, arc of the story, so to speak, or the, the teaching, what it's like and, and go from there because you can literally make the Bible say anything you want yes, it to. You can. If you take it first. You really can. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, That's why I just love it when people clarify things like that, because it is so true. I had never thought of, I mean, Proverbs is definitely, people love it. And it's one that I struggled with because it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Because I'm like, well, no, I know a lot of godly parents who 
trained their children up in the way and their children turned from them, um, turned from you. And so, but I, I, I knew it wasn't, um, I knew it was a man problem. It wasn't a God problem. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. We're so quick to blame it on God. And I'm like, "Mm, no, (laughs) this is our struggle with not being able to interpret it correctly. And then somebody was like, you know, Proverbs is not, you know, a promise book. It's more of a prescription of if we lived in this perfect world, these are all the things that would happen. Um, or these are all of the possibilities if everything goes just right. And I was like, (laughs) oh, I can finally read that That without just getting angry. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) that's right. Like that's my encouragement to people is just ask God the questions that you're struggling with. Ask him. He may not give you the answer today, tomorrow, or the next day. Mm -hmm. But I mean, literally, I have struggled with Proverbs for years and years, and that just came last year. Mm, I love that. Yeah. It's neat because it shows, like, it's always a journey, like you said. And the word is alive and active, and you may struggle with it one day, but it will be illuminated another day. Absolutely. You know, spirit will reveal something to you that you just did not see or understand before. Absolutely. Well, tell our listeners, what are some things that we can be cautious about and pay attention to when it comes to a legalistic church? What are some things to maybe watch for? Yeah. So with, we kind of touched on this aspect um, a bit ago, but with legalism comes a very judgmental heart. I was so hateful in my heart towards people in that day. Me too, Um, girl. Oh, so, so bad. And with that came this idea that if there's somebody who you disagree with, somebody who is living a lifestyle of any sort, big or small difference to yours, that you you just write them off. You just, you cut ties. You don't Mm -hmm. talk to them. You don't interact with them. Like they're going to tear you down. If you do, you know, the bad Mm -hmm. company corrupts good morals. If if that happens, like we can't, this church is unto itself. You know, we are separate. We're, we're, you know, we're in the world, but not of it. Um, all those. This is like so perfect about taking things out of context, right? Like it's so true. Yes. And so if you are in a community or a ministry or a church who is more interested in, um, looking down their noses at other people, They're more interested in appearing perfect than they are actually being the hands and feet of Christ Mm -hmm. and loving people and befriending people and eating dinner with people and, you know, meeting their needs. That's definitely a red flag. Um, You know, Jesus said that the Pharisees were the whitewashed tombs on the outside. They're all perfect, but on the inside, they're hateful and they're judgy and they're not perfect. (laughs) So. So that's definitely a warning sign. If your group is not the hands and feet of Christ and you're instead just a, a community unto yourself um, that can't get tarnished by other people, you, know, you can't you can't be near them because they'll they'll mess you up. That's not a good path right. to be on. If you are ever told to just believe what the pastor is telling you and not be a Berean, that's a bad sign. <laughs> um, I've heard that before. Oh, um, yes, I have too. <laughs> I'm like, run for your life. Jesus. Yes, as fast as you Take can. Take me Get to meet away. those people, please. <laughs> I mean, I really did tell one of my friends in that, like right out of college, that kind of happened to her. And she came to me and she was like, I just don't think this is right. And I'm like, listen, it is not. And if you feel like you can't go to him and tell him it's not right and run for your life, take me with you because yeah. that is crazy. 
And then if you try to address it and you're told that because you're a woman mm-hmm. that he doesn't have to listen to you and in fact should not listen to you, that would be another red flag. Um, yeah. <laughs> like just all those things. Or if you have this kind of teaching that you have to be perfect to earn, to earn God's love or to mm-hmm. keep you know, your salvation somehow or to keep God from being displeased with you, that's just not the gospel. And one of my favorite passages is... Romans 7 and Romans 8. And the reason I say both is because I, for a long time, I read Romans 8, 1, the one that says, you know, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I just focused on that. Great. Good to know. But the problem with just focusing on that is you don't have the encouragement of realizing that Paul screwed up in his own life in Romans 7. Like he's telling you, this is not someone saying I'm perfect. So there's no condemnation. I'm good. This is someone who's saying, I know what to do and I'm not doing it. The things that I know I'm not supposed to do, those are the things I'm doing. I'm all messed up. I'm struggling with my sin nature. I cannot get my act together, Mm, but there's no condemnation. And so that's the gospel. That is what really inspires obedience. You know, Mm -hmm. legalism is, is not obedience from a heart of love for the Lord and what he's done. It's a obligation. I have to do this so that you're not going to be scowling down at me so that you'll maybe accept me. I have to do these things. But obedience is you're so grateful for the good news of the gospel. You're so grateful for the love of God and what he did that you want to obey. And so it's not that if you're not legalistic, then you're just all over the place and you're just out, you know, doing whatever you want to do. It's not those two extremes. There is a nice balance to be had. Yeah. I always, always say this. If you are experiencing tons of guilt and shame, that is straight from the enemy and from your own flesh. Jesus Christ does not put on us a yoke of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Conviction, yes. Absolutely. Repentance, That's the Holy Spirit's job. Yeah. Yes. Guilt and shame, no way. And so if a church is putting that on you, leadership is putting that on you, no. Like that's just not that's not the gospel of Jesus. And even in the Old Testament, there's a psalm that I love so much. It's Psalm 103, and in it, not only is it the psalm where, you know, the, I don't think, I can't remember if it was David that wrote this particular one or not, but the psalmist is saying, you know, God has separated our sin as far as the East is from the West. But also it goes on to say that he's a tender father and he knows that we are but dust. In other words, he's not surprised when we mess up. He knows that we've got this in nature. He knows it's going to happen and he's not beating us over the head when it right. does happen. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I just, Paul is one of my favorites because in Romans, you know, he talks about it's God's kindness that leads to our repentance. It is not him being this vindictive judge that draws us to suddenly want to have something to do with him. He's being kind. He's being gracious. He's being loving. He's showing his mercy. And it draws us. It woos us into realizing, oh, yeah, man, I need that. I That's what I need. That's the answer to well, my that's the other issue. benefit, too, of just reading the word from front to back. Because if you do that, you will see there are n- normal people in every single book of the Bible And everybody's screwing up big time and God's using them. I mean, like, that's just the whole story. Yeah. I was reading a book recently and just pointing out Moses, it was four decades that he Mm -hmm. served as a shepherd Mm -hmm. before he stepped into leading the Israelites. And when we start looking at all these people in the Bible, we don't have to look at them necessarily as heroes. Instead, we can look at them as These were normal people that God used and they screwed up and they were obedient. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's both. It's not either or. Right. 
And so, that gives us hope because that's us. <laughs> it is. I mean, we're still part of the story, yeah. you know, like he's still writing his story through us. And so mm. anyways, girl, we could probably talk forever, but yeah, I you know, so. I am just so grateful for that. Cause I do just feel like it's a topic that it, it's just can be so touchy. Mm. You know, I mean, I have been very fortunate to be away from a lot of that type of thinking just in the body of believers for some time, but um, I can remember when I was very, very legalistic, particularly in my early years of being a believer, because it was still so black and white. So, you know, just challenging people to keep digging in, read the word is definitely the way to go. But we close our show with a couple of questions. Um, we all experience God's grace all the time, but there are times when we just absolutely have to cling to it with everything we have. Is there a season or a time or event in your life where you could share with us that you really had to cling to the grace of God? Mm, that's such a good question. I, when I first thought about that question, motherhood. I know. <laughs> that's mine every time. Came to mind. And I actually have a little story. I'll make it brief, but um, I struggle with, you know, impatience and a temper and, you know, the just getting so fed up and overwhelmed and just lashing out. And, um, last year, my daughter was three at the time and it was one of those days where I just don't know what the problem was, but I was just easily sent over the edge, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I do know, and just hollered at her and I'm like, Oh goodness. You know? And I'm just, I would, I would pray with her. I'd sit down with her and I'm like, Anna, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I'd pray with her and, and, but this kept happening all throughout the day. And finally that afternoon, I'm just like, what is wrong with me? How many times have I prayed about this? Like, at least I, yeah. you know, did that, but it doesn't seem to be helping. Like, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm a mess. So I sat down finally with her again. I was like, Anna, and by this time I'm so dejected, like, just, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, you know, just pray with mom. Like I'm, and she goes, mama, I, I want to pray. I said, oh. okay. So she takes my hand. I'll never forget what she said. She said, dear Jesus, thank you that you forgive mommy, even when she's not very nice. And it hit me and it was like, she's getting it. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it wasn't that, oh, good, I've been sinning all day long so my daughter can figure this out. But mm -hmm. it was that God clearly brought good from what had happened. And yeah. he clearly used it to show my daughter the grace of God and to mm -hmm. show me as her mom that she's getting it, that she's understand she's putting these things together. And I may not have ever known that at this age, yeah. she's starting to put that together. But because of what had happened that day and the fact that I just, when I get stressed and overwhelmed, temper is my go-to. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Look how alike we are. <laughs> I like to control things too. Yeah. It plays right into legalism perfectly, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. I like things to be the way I want them to be the way I think they should be. I mean, I, I was ripe for the picking for legalistic teaching. Right. Right. Oh, goodness. Well, tell me if you could sit down with your great grandchildren and give them some wisdom or just share something with them, what would you like for them to know? Wow. Everything I've already said tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's all been so big. Can it be a long conversation, Lord? Yeah. Can I talk for an hour about everything I've learned in the past 10 years? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's been more than 10 years, but um, I would just reiterate it is not on the basis of your good works or you're being perfect, or you're dotting every I, crossing every T that is going to cause God to be okay with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he loves you anyway. And when he, when you're saved, when you place that saving faith in him, Christ's righteousness is yours. When he looks at you, he doesn't see that you yelled at your child. As, mm -hmm. as terrible as that technically is, that is not a good thing. But he does not see that. 
Now he disciplines us. It's not like he doesn't know we're doing it, but you know, he sanctifies us. He works through that. But when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ mm-hmm. and nothing can change that. Yeah. The good days don't change that. The bad days don't change that. And yeah. so I feel like Praise when you realize that, yes, you just are able to walk in that freedom that Galatians has become like my favorite book. I mean, freedom's all over it. I'm like, oh, it's my word. But if you can realize that, then you can walk in that freedom and you're so much more at peace. You're not constantly striving and, and hoping God's okay with you today. You're just, you know that he always is. You're his kid. You have the blood of Christ covering you. You're fine. Absolutely. And you can walk out in that freedom and it makes a huge difference. It also makes a huge difference in how you treat others and how you view them. And it just frees you up in all the ways. Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, thanks so much for being here. Will you tell everyone what is your podcast? Where can we find you in all the places? You can share your book with us. And I mean, of course, I'll make sure that I link it in our show notes, but just in case someone wants to find you. Sure. So the one-stop shop, so to speak, the website is Hargraves, so my last name, homeandhearth.com. So the podcast is the Home and Hearth podcast. No, we do not just talk about homemaking, but I just had the alliteration when I started the blog and had to stick with it. Um, (laughs) It's everything across the board. But on Instagram, I'm a little easier to find probably than that. I'm just at Rebecca Hargraves. And then the magazine is spiritfilledwomanmag.com, spiritfilledwomanmag on Instagram. I could give you my Facebook, but Instagram's my favorite and I'm there more often so yeah but you also have is it lies moms believe yeah what's the, book, the name of the book that you've already released so it's lies moms believe and the subtitle is and how the gospel refutes them so we're we actually go through 32 different lies that are divided up into different sections so lies about motherhood lies about yourself as a mom lies about your kids lies about um how god views you as a mom And then it just goes through and we just really do look at the gospel and we see how it applies to all of those areas. And it's kind of more, not exactly essay form, but it's not chunks of chapters. You know, it is more because you're addressing 32 different lies. So it's kind of a, one of those things that you can read it all, or you can just turn to the one that you're struggling with that day and just read something that you can read in a relatively short amount of time. Which is really nice. It was um, something that I, I wrote to encourage others, but honestly, I feel like that project brought, continued to bring me out of legalism and to really help me understand the gospel because I had to dive into the word so much to write it. (laughs) I mean, that's sometimes the project God puts before us. It's a lot more for us and, you know, it's just out of that overflow, you know, other people are blessed too. So thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I feel like I was talking to a kindred spirit. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, Would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.